0: The title of this morning's message is Jesus Loves Marriage. Now, if you're not married, that's okay, because we're going to talk about marriage, singleness, shame, and joy. Does that sound good? Are you with me? All right, we're going to be in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. You guys are quick. Look at you. Okay. Well, wait a couple seconds and take a sip of my water. All right. John chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read and pray and get into it. Does that sound good? Are you all with me? We're going to have some fun this morning. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. And it says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, everyone say wine. Wine. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, underlying circle highlight, very important. Mentioned seven times in the Gospel of John, my hour has not yet come. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Very important, very specific detail there. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we praise you, Jesus, for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And Lord, this morning, we invite you here into this room, into this place. We understand, Lord, that you are here by your spirit. And so we ask that you would speak to us by the power of your word, that you would bring application to our lives, that you would bring comfort and encouragement and edification, that you would build us up in you, Jesus. We invite you here. Would you speak now? In your name we say, amen. How many of you are football fans? Raise your hand. Football fans. I was really surprised, third service. I thought no one was going to be here. I'll just be honest. I'm so proud of you. You're here. Football fans, well done. You got a little bit of time before the game begins. And you know, I'm not a big football fan, but I do enjoy the snacks. I have to admit, the Super Bowl snacks, I'm game. I'm all down for the snacks. But I want to remind you, if you are a Super Bowl fan, today is Super Bowl, or football fan, today is Super Bowl, but tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Okay, so don't forget, guys. All right, listen. I know there's not much time between the end of the service and the beginning of the game... But you got time. If you got to run to Target, you got to get your lady, your special someone, your spouse a gift. Make it happen. There has been far too many times in my almost five years of marriage that I have ended up at a celebration for my wife and I, a little bit empty-handed or a little bit last-minute Amazon order. Okay? So it's better than nothing, though. So if you haven't gotten a gift, go and get a gift. But I have to admit, I have, uh, I've been in the pit of shame a couple times from not getting the gift, whether it was an anniversary, Valentine's birthday, not really leaving up to the expectations. And you know, as we talk about shame, we're going to see here in this wedding, they are actually on the brink of shame. Shame is just right there on the horizon. And we're going to break down kind of this miracle because this miracle is very, very interesting. This is Jesus's first miracle he's ever done, turning water into wine. And what was happening is that at this wedding... They were running out of wine. Now, I got married almost five years ago. Somehow we managed to have two kids. We got one more on the way coming in August. Pray for my wife. It's fun. And our 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 wedding was like five to six hours. I was at a marriage ceremony yesterday. Aaron officiated it. It was wonderful. It was like 30 to 45 minutes. It was very short. Back then, the marriage feast was seven days long. It wasn't just a wedding. It was a marriage feast. And at the center of it was food and it was wine. If there was no more wine, the party's over and everyone's going home, which would have been really, really bad because the Jewish society was an honor and shame society and a marriage Feast was a great opportunity for the families to display their wealth, their status, and their hospitality. And so if you're gonna run out of wine during the middle of the marriage feast, it would have brought a lot of shame, embarrassment, and guilt upon both the spouses and their families. It would have been bad. But at the last minute, what happens? Jesus comes in the scene and he turns the water into the wine and the party keeps on going. But interesting first miracle. Like, what is the deal with all of this? Well, we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to see the significance of the wedding. Second, we're going to see the sign in the miracle. And thirdly, the source of real joy. But first, the significance of the wedding. Now, this wedding is very, very interesting because... The apostle John is pinning the gospel account of the book of John. And it's very interesting because many scholars believe that John is actually trying to write a new Genesis. What do I mean by that is Genesis is the book of beginnings. And John is trying to write a new Genesis about the beginning of who? Jesus. It's all centered around on a new beginning around Jesus's life in ministry. So this makes sense when we read John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the... And the word was with God and the word was God. And it's echoing Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, in the creation count, a big part of it there in Genesis 2 was the first marriage. Well, here in John 2, we find Jesus at a marriage feast. Very interesting. He's at this marriage feast. So in order to fully understand what Jesus is doing here in John 2, to understand it in its entirety, let's go back to Genesis 2. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. It's going to be there on the screen and it says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. I love that. God brings the woman to the man. Here we have the first record of a marriage union, a marriage ceremony instituted and created by God himself. It's between man and woman. And this is God's completion of creation in this marriage union. But it was the beginning or the means of the beginning in which God's creation would multiply and build a kingdom alongside God. Remember that there in the Genesis account? He's created creating everything but then he places man and woman together and he gives them these orders to multiply to rule and to subdue the earth why because God has a task for them and the commission the task is that they would build alongside God they would build a kingdom together there on earth this is very very interesting because when we get to John chapter 2 here is Jesus beginning his kingdom but we'll get there to a second We're going to geek out, you guys. It's going to be fun. Are you guys going to be with me? We're going to get like really deep, but then we're going to come up. It's all going to make sense. All right. So the first marriage here is in Genesis chapter 2. And it wasn't, though, until long that they experienced imminent failure. You read Genesis 2 and then you get to Genesis 3. You have the fall. Sin and shame enter into the picture. And now this wedding union, the very first marriage, is marked by failure. It's covered in shame and guilt. Where there was once joy, intimacy, and freedom within the marriage union. Now sin had tainted what God begun. A marriage, this marriage began with openness and vulnerability. Now we find them in Genesis 3. They're covering themselves. They're in fear and they have failed. And just pause there for a second and enter into the story with me. Because I think we can all relate a lot to this first relationship, all right? Here, this first relationship starting off beautiful. Now there is shame written all over it. I've shared it with you before. Pastor Tim Keller's definition for shame is shame is feeling bad for who we are, while guilt is feeling bad for what we've done. Shame is feeling bad for who we are. It's an attack against self. And this was certainly the case there in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were experiencing shame. And if you're married today, I'm sure you can relate a lot to this first marriage. I know I can. You start off marriage in the honeymoon phase, and everything's beautiful, and it's intimate, and it's it's awesome. And then time goes by. Expectations of your spouse you're like, oh, you're not totally the person I thought you were be. I mean, to be honest, like, okay, you got a little quirks here, a little quirks there. Pain enters into the picture, shame enters into the picture, hurt and frustration enter into the picture. And this was the scene here in Genesis chapter two at the creation with the first marriage. Now, if you're not married today, that's okay. You still understand shame. We all understand shame. Why? Because shame was introduced in this first marriage and then handed down upon generation and generation and generation and generation generation to every single person in this room today. We all experience a sense of shame, feeling bad for who we are. And one of the ways I can prove it to you is your desire to always prove yourself. We always want to prove ourselves. We always want to be better than we are, be someone who we are not. And so we try to prove ourselves with accolades, with affirmation, with career, with money, retirement account, maybe even relationships, maybe how great of a parent you are, how well you serve in ministry and religious ways. We try to prove ourselves. Why? Because we like to sow fig leaves over ourselves, over our shame of who we are. And we try to be someone we're not. Shame is something that we all experience. It is a part of our fall In nature, That all began here in this first marriage, in the garden, in the creation account. Regardless of what shame you carry, we can identify a lot with this marriage. This first marriage was marked with failure and oftentimes our lives feel the same way. We feel as if our lives are marked by failure and failure. We can never get it all together. And this was definitely the case here in the first marriage. But I want you to notice the significance of this wedding. Because there's parallels here between Genesis 2 and John 2. Let's throw up that first slide. I've got some charts I'm going to show you, guys. But Genesis 2 is at the first marriage. It's at the creation. We just covered it. But now we have Jesus at this marriage feast in Cana. And this is his inauguration. That means it's his opening speech. The movement is beginning. There in verse 11, we read, this is the first of his many signs. Fun geek fact, there's seven signs in John. Seven signs in John. This is the first of his signs. And this is the way that he's demonstrating who he is, what he's all about, and what he's going to do. This is a very significant detail that the first wedding was at creation. And now Jesus is using a marriage feast, a wedding, for his inauguration. But what is the sign? Well, before we dive into the sign itself, I want to give you a quick definition of marriage. Marriage is an intimate covenant marked by love and sacrifice that reflects an even greater relationship between God and man. Marriage there, created by God, instituted by God in the Garden of Eden, is a covenant. If you've been married or you've gone to a wedding, you've heard the minister, you've heard the pastor, you've heard the officiation officiant say, until death do us part, right? It is a covenant until death and it is marked by love and sacrifice. But that relationship of marriage is a reflection in a picture of an even greater relationship in which God desires to have with us. So the intimacy in marriage is actually a reflection of the intimacy that the God of the heavens and the earth desires to have with you and me. So if you're not married today, listen, there's a greater relationship with than marriage. We don't need to idolize marriage. The greater relationship than marriage is a relationship with God. Marriage is a reflection of it. And so this is what's happening here in the creation account. But because of sin and sin and shame had entered into the picture, now not only is there a chasm or there's problems within Adam and Eve that we still experience today in our relationships with other people, there is a chasm or a break in our relationship with God. There's a chasm and break where sin and shame had entered into the picture. And so the significance of this wedding in John 2 is significant, but what is the sign? The sign and the miracle. We we're told that this is literally a sign in verse 11. It's the first of his signs and it is to manifest his glory. So there are two different things because a sign is a symbol. It is a representation. There's a deeper meaning underneath what Jesus is doing and it is very intentional as we've already seen some of these parallels here. But what is the sign? Well, As we just mentioned, the first marriage didn't last long until the first failure. Sin had entered into the picture. And Adam and Eve's marriage is now marked by shame. But God would cover their sin and their shame. I love this. It's a beautiful portion. In Genesis chapter 3, if you're reading very, very carefully, we read that, that Adam and Eve were covered in their fig leaves, that God pursues them in the garden. And then we read that he closed them with a tunic. Everyone say tunic. He closed them with a the tunic. A tunic is an animal skin. The way to close someone with a tunic means that God actually did the first sacrifice there in the garden. Blood was spilt of an animal and Adam and Eve were covered by the skin of an animal. It was a tunic, the height of the fashion of the day. There, they're covered. But this is very important because it was to cover their sin and their shame. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. This is very, very, very important. Because of sin and shame, there needs to be judgment. Well, that judgment is on this animal. Now they're covered by the blood of the animal, or really the tunic of the animal. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 2 is really a commentary of all the Old Testament scriptures. And it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The shedding of blood is critical for the forgiveness of sin. And so this is what God institutes there in the garden as he kills this animal and clothes them with tunic. Now this, this shedding of blood is carried all throughout the Old Testament scriptures and really gets to a climactic point with the character Moses. You guys remember Moses? I mean, he is the man of the Old Testament. And Moses, he's given the law after he delivers the nation of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and they get into the wilderness. He's given the law. And what the Mosaic law is, it is a bunch of right, and rituals and instructions of how to go through this sacrificial system to be cleansed or covered or atoned for your sin and your shame. There's all these purification laws and all these things. This was all given to Moses. But this is the thing. The law only brings death all throughout the Old Testament. If it's not the death of an animal, it's judgment upon man. So think of Moses' first miracle. Moses' first miracle, so cool, he turns water into blood. Remember this, and as he's judging the nation of Egypt, the 10 plagues against Egypt, the first of them was turning the Nile River water into blood. Why? Because blood is judgment. And because of sin and shame, we need to be judged. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. All the law does is actually show us death and death and death and death over again. So this is important to understand as we see Jesus' first miracle here in John chapter 2. Jesus' first miracle is not turning water into blood to bring judgment. Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine to bring joy and celebration. Notice how he does it. The problem at hand is the same problem that was there at the first marriage. The problem is that there was a failure that was going to bring a lot of shame. Now, I already told you this failure, there's no more wine. And this was going to bring a lot of shame on the, the, the couple, the spouse and their family. So what does Jesus do? He has his servants fill up six stone jar waters for the Jewish rites of purification. Now, just pause and like think how cool this is. Like just geek with me for a second. This is like a really fast paced account. Of like what's going on. And then there's these like little very specific details here. Like these Jewish stone pots for purification. What are these? Well we're told in verse 11 all of this is a sign. What are these? These are a sign of the Mosaic law. They're a sign of the way to be purified or covered or atoned for. Which they needed to be covered. It is a sign of the Mosaic law. What's in it? Water. Water. Now, this is interesting because water has a little motif all throughout the Old Testament scriptures as well of bringing judgment. Just think of Noah's flood, right? Noah and the flood, there's judgment that's bringing brought because of water. Well, as this water is in the pots, what does Jesus do? He turns that water into wine. No longer is he bringing judgment. He is able to bring joy. And this is so cool. Because what is this telling us? Well, let's look at this real quick. I've got another graph for you guys to to see this all out. So Genesis chapter two, your first marriage, shame and sin enter into the picture. The way to cover that up was blood. This is carried all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. It always leads to judgment. Here, Jesus is now at a marriage it's a marriage feast. It's his inauguration. He's beginning his new kingdom and he turns the water into wine. He covers them in wine. He literally covers their bases. And what does wine bring? It brings joy and celebration. Why? This is indicative. It is a sign of what Jesus's kingdom is all about. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am able to cover your sin and shame. I am able to cover your failures and mistakes. What you cannot do in the law, I am able To do rather than the outcome being judgment, the outcome is joy, and celebration. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the greater Adam. Where Adam failed at creation, introducing sin, shame, and death to humanity, Jesus brings life. Jesus is also the greater Moses, whose first miracle was turning water into blood. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Failure in the Old Testament brought judgment, but failure under Christ brings redemption and celebration. So what does this mean for you? What this means for you is every area of our lives marked with failure is an opportunity to witness God's faithful hand of redemption. Every area of our lives marked with failure is now an opportunity. That doesn't bring judgment. It's an opportunity to witness God's faithful hand of redemption. Man, maybe this morning you're living under a weight of condemnation. Your marriage is full of shame and guilt. Your singleness is full in shame and guilt. Your relationships are breaking your life. It just seems like it's crumbling. You have shame for who you are. Well, this sign reminds us today that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Rather than having to cover our own failures and mistakes, Jesus is able to bring redemption. But the problem is, is we always try to cover them. The problem is we have the same issue back there in the Garden of Eden covering themselves with fig leaves. We try to do the same thing. So when we fail, we try to hide it. When we fail, we tuck it under the rug. When we fail, we don't want to talk about it. But here we see in Christ, failure is an opportunity to see his hand of redemption. He is able to cover us. Charles Spurgeon writing and commenting on John chapter two, he says this, if your needs stand before you like huge empty water pots or your soul is as full of grief as those same pots were filled with water up to the brim, Jesus can by his sweet will turn all the water into wine, the sighing, into singing in other words Jesus's kingdom his inauguration the beginning of it all he's saying my kingdom is marked by joy my kingdom is marked by celebration I am able to trade your garment of mourning for a garment of praise I am able to bring beauty from ashes this is the kingdom of God and it's beautiful it is very very good news now I want you to understand, though, that this miracle and this sign is not only revealing the kingdom of Jesus. It is also a prophetic sign of what is to come. And guys, this is so fun. This is rad. The Bible begins with the marriage in Genesis chapter 2, but it also ends with the marriage in Revelation 19. Do you remember it? The marriage supper of the lamb. Let me read it to you. Revelation chapter 19 and verse seven. It's actually the apostle John who's also writing this. And he says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready who has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. This is where we're heading this is where we're going. The marriage supper of the lamb in heaven with God. It is all a beautiful, beautiful reality of what marriage was supposed to be a reflection of that intimate relationship with God and man. The marriage supper of the lamb is the fulfillment at the consummation of time in which we get to experience the fullness of God with him. How cool. Now, This was actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Let me read it to you because this is startling. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse six, it says, on the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. Now this is cool because this is actually prophetic Not of John 2, but as of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is all pointing to the consummation of time when everything's completed and when we get to actually experience the fullness of God's kingdom with him. And what is it marked by? Wine and good food, a.k.a. it's a celebration. It's joy. The fullness of joy. And so, what is this all pointing to? It's pointing... The truth that Jesus is the source of our real joy. He's the source of our real joy. Maybe you're a, you're a teenager here today and you came with your, your parents or maybe you're a spouse and you don't come to church regularly. Oftentimes we, we can get this idea maybe that God is boring. Furthest thing from the truth. Look at where it's all going. It's going to a celebration. It's going to a festival, a feast with God himself. And he is the source of real joy. Jesus doesn't just bring joy. He's the source of real joy. So we can spend all of our lives looking and longing for more, a better job, a better experience, a better spouse, another vacation, another raise, more, 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 and more. But we will never be satisfied because Jesus is the more. He is who you are longing for in him. It's a fullness of joy. And this is where we're heading as Christians. This is what we get to rejoice in. And so let me show you the final graph here. It's so cool. At the beginning of the Bible, there is a marriage that ends with judgment. At the end of the Bible, there is the marriage supper of the Lamb that ends with unspeakable joy. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Every wrong will be righted. It will be incredible. This is where we're all going. And in the middle here, Jesus is beginning his ministry, his first miracle at a wedding, giving wine, saying the taste of what is to come, the way to get there is only through me. The way to heaven, the way to the marriage supper of the lamb, the way to real joy, real satisfaction, everything you're craving for in life, it is only found in the person of Jesus. And so what is he doing at the wedding? Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, get a glimpse of what is to come. This is cool. But the thing is, in order to get from judgment to unspeakable joy, or in order to get from joy to unspeakable joy, the only way to get there is death. That scripture I just read to you from Isaiah in chapter 25, verse 6, just two lines later in verse 8, it says this, prophesying of the marriage supper of the Lamb, he says, he... Will swallow up, the Messiah will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. Does that sound familiar? We read that in Revelation. It was prophesied in Isaiah. God will wipe away tears from all faces in the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. In other words, though, he will swallow up death. The only way to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb is death. That is why at the beginning of this entire account there in verse 3 or verse 4, when Mary comes to him and it's like, hey, they have no wine. Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My Hour has not yet come. The hour in which he was referencing was the hour of his death, his crucifixion, all throughout the Gospel of John. And you see, my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come. And then finally says, My hour is come. And he goes to the cross, he's crucified. Why? Because Jesus was not born to live, Jesus was born to die. And so here at the beginning of it all. The kickstarter to his ministry at its inauguration, what is on his mind is his death. And when Mary asks for him to bring the wine, what is his thought on? His thought is on this prophecy in Isaiah. He's thinking of the marriage supper of the lamb. He's like, my hour has not yet come because in order to get there, I first may die. But what does he do? He gives a little glimpse of what is to come by providing this miracle so we can taste and see that the Lord is good. So we can get a taste of his joy. So we can experience the joy that we're longing for, that you try to find in your marriage, that you try to find in your relationships and your kids and and different things. That joy that we're really longing for, it all comes from the person of Jesus. Jesus goes on to say this, the night before his crucifixion, as he's enjoying the Passover meal with the disciples, He says this in Matthew 26, verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now that word there, new. Guys, this is so cool. Because notice this, what happens when the master of the ceremonies brings the wine To or he's he's talking to the bridegroom. Read again with me at the end of verse nine, verse ten of John two. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. What's the prophecy from Isaiah? New wine. Fresh wine, well-aged wine, well-refined wine. What's the whole idea? If we can put that graph up there one more time, the whole idea is this. It is that God moves from glory to greater glory, that God saves the best wine or the best joy or the best celebration for last. So we began in judgment at the first marriage, but we're ending with unspeakable joy in the last marriage. And on the way there, it only gets better and and better, and better. What does that mean for you? It means that truly the best is yet to come for you. Man, we can taste. We can sense the joy that is found in Jesus here on earth. But man, friends, that is only a taste, a little sample from Costco of what is to come. Man, there is so much more that awaits us. And so we can rejoice today. We can rejoice this morning. But how do we get from joy to unspeakable joy? It's through his death. Where the sin and shame at the first marriage in the garden that was introduced that we all carry today, he would take upon himself. And his blood would be spilled as that ultimate sacrifice once and for all. That's why his blood, when we drink of it, it's wine. It brings joy. It brings celebration. Because we're set free. Because our eternity is secure. Because we are saved. Because we are redeemed. Because the best is yet to come. But by way of application, for you and for me, if you sense you're lacking some joy this morning, I would suggest that in the same way Christ had to die in order for us to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb and unspeakable joy, we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to ourselves in our way, in our will, in our kingdom to say, God, I want your kingdom. I want your will. I want your way. We have to die in our marriages. We have to die in our singleness. We have to die to ourselves and our ambitions and our dreams. And when we do, we position ourselves to experience the joy that Jesus has for us. And so the question today, do you want it? Do you want his joy? It's available to you. You simply have to say, God, I need it. And it is there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible, incredible miracle. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible sign of who you are, of what you've done, of what is to come. Lord, we rejoice in our salvation and what, Lord, you blow our minds, how you cover us by your blood, how how you don't hold failures against us. So often we do that to ourselves and others, but Lord, you bring redemption. God, I pray that in this room you would bring redemption to your people. I pray that you would bring beauty from ashes. I pray that you would bring singing from sighing. I pray, Lord, that you would restore marriages. I pray, Lord, that for those that are single, that they would experience the intimacy that is found in you and be satisfied by the living waters that you offer, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people that regardless of the ups and downs of life, we will be able to stand assured, that the best is yet to come and that we can carry ourselves in confidence with joy because of what you've done. Jesus, we praise you and we lift your name on high this morning and in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song and I want to encourage you as we close with this song to rejoice to just praise God, literally thank Him out loud in your mind, thank Him for who He is and what He's done. And if your marriage is, is struggling right now, If you've got a relationship struggling, maybe you're dreading Valentine's Day tomorrow. Maybe it's a reminder of the spouse that's not there, the divorce that you've had to gone through. Listen, people would love to pray with you. There'll be people on either sides of the stage. But man, Jesus is offering joy to us this morning. Let's receive it and let's praise him. I invite you all to stand up and let's sing and praise him right now.